Welcome to Rise and Rouse, a podcast for people who give a damn. This is the very first episode of the podcast, and I am so very excited to be kicking off with all of you. This is your host, Erin Allgood. I'm a social impact strategist, consultant, and plant lover. It's true. I have more than 50 plants in my apartment, and my partner is continually trying to talk me down from buying more. And that leads me into my first guest. This week on Rise and Rouse, you'll hear my conversation with Janie Arquit of Pantry Posies, a social enterprise committed to bringing flowers to food pantries. We talk about how beauty isn't a luxury, but actually an integral part of the human experience and how everyone deserves dignity and respect. It actually reminds me of the old saying from the beginning of the labor movement. We want bread and roses too. Janie finds hope in bringing joy to others, and I hope you will feel inspired listening to her story. I'm so excited to be joined today by Janie Arquit, who is an amazing friend of mine. I met her um, a while ago on a project I was working on around gleaning in the North Country of New Hampshire. And we've just become like very, very good friends since that. And I'm so grateful that we've been able to stay in touch and be friends and to be able to stay in each other's orbit. Janie had actually left Boston area and a career in clinical care for an avenue more focused in community care with a hope to incorporate her lifelong passion for flowers. So after becoming involved with local food pantries and food access work in her new home in the mountain region of New Hampshire, she crafted a new path, one that could blend this things together by providing ethically grown bouquets to the patrons of local food pantries. This idea that you have, this work that you're doing right now, I think is just so very, very important and so interesting. And I'm so very excited to hear a little bit more about that today. And I know other folks are going to be excited too. So I'm going to just stop there and give you a moment to just share a little bit in your own words, just about who you are and, and kind of how you came to this work. Hi. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you here as a friend, and I feel honored and, and nervous and excited to share a little bit about what, what's been going on. So I guess a little bit about me is I relocated up to the north country of New Hampshire, so above the notch, the White Mountain region, uh, about six years ago. Me and my husband bought our first home here, and you know I'd worked the last 10 plus years in clinical care uh, working in crisis intervention and eating disorder, uh, clinical care, and mental health settings, um, treatment facilities, and um, doing that kind of work. And when we moved up here, we were trying to like figure out ways to like align everything. You know, I, I like order. And I wanted to get out of clinical care. And I had a background in education, you know, working in clinical um, supports in, in school settings. And I kind of jumped into that when we moved up here because it was familiar. And then I got into the food access stuff, which is how I met you, Erin, which was really cool. Um, and tied in like the nutrition piece through just be meeting like the basic needs of, of our local population by just providing some food, some nutrient dense local vegetables. I fell in love with the concept of gleaning. Um, I put a lot of heart into that work that I did. And in doing that, I, my, I couldn't turn off my clinical brain. You know, I was still like observing. I was sort of data collecting. I was doing all these things. I was sort of trying to dismantle within my own self. And I learned a lot about myself in that process as well. Like how I was like observing myself, observing others and where I was pathologizing, where I was lending to like stigmatization. And then I kind of took a beat and got to know people, got to know patrons, got to know the volunteers, got to know the people that run 
the food bank and the the different food access meals and little fridges and all these types of things up here. And I come from a, a background as well in, in floral work. That was my after school job when I was a kid. And I am still on the payroll at my local hometown flower shop way back from, from when I was 14. Um, they're like family to me. I love flower work. I've, I've been doing it throughout my time in academia and clinical care. Um, it was sort of my old faithful type thing, you know, and i I, I was thinking in my time in food access, like the flower piece is missing. We're bringing the food, we're bringing the veggies, we're bringing the herbs. And then pantry posies kind of came to be. So here we are. <laughs> Do you mind just defining what gleaning is for folks? Because I know some folks won't necessarily know what that means. Sure, sure. So that was a new concept to me t- until I started doing it. Uh, and it, and it's, it stems from, from biblical readings, biblical times. But it's the practice of collecting grown foods, and distributing it to places that it may not go to in like a commercialized way. So, you know, food pantries, food banks, neighbor sharing, it's, it's basically sharing the excess of so that it does not go to waste. So you can do that with, with food. You can do that with, as I'm learning now, flowers, herbs, vegetables, things like that. So tell me a little bit more about the concept for pantry posies, because this, as I was saying before, this is like a novel thing that people don't have probably never encountered before this idea. So I'd love to just to articulate it and also just like note that like you're still in the building phase of all of this. So it's like it's kind of a beautiful spot where not everything is perfectly figured out, but you're being guided by this like amazing inspiration. Yes, yes. It's kind of this messy, beautiful like conundrum that's like just coming to be. So pantry posies sort of started mid-pandemic. I took a step back from from gleaning vegetables and doing like 501 work. I just wanted to kind of like take a beat, think about my own work inside the, like the, like I had that privilege to do that during COVID. And then um, I started growing flowers in my own yard. For the first time, I'm a very, very young green gardener. People ask, oh, are you a flower farmer? Let me come to your farm. It's like, no, no, I don't hold it a candle, a a sprinkle on a cupcake to what farmers do. Uh, So this is all new for me too. So because I love flowers and as as a consumer of flowers in this new region that I am in and in in the rural mountains, it's hard to access, even for those of us that have the privilege of being able to just toss dollars to get it. So I wanted to think of a way to make flowers more accessible to people. And so I was like, well, I'll I'll grow more, like I'll grow some. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for folks up here that do growing um, as their livelihood, flower farmers, growers, food growers, CSA holders. I have so much respect for them. So I wanted to do something where that same type of product was accessible to more. And so I started growing in my yard and linking up with the food pantries that I had grown to know and and, and grow a great rapport with in my gleaning work. And um, they were like, yeah, flowers would be great. you know." And I kind of pitched this idea of working in more of the idea of like equitable and inclusive practices in the flower distribution and kind of modeling that with the flower access program. Um, Because in my time with gleaning, I could see some of like the strong disparities in the community care of giving in food access. And, you know, there's a difference between giving everybody a small piece of a pie versus giving them like the whole pie so their family can leisurely enjoy a dessert like their neighbors and friends are doing, you know? So kind of looping in um, 
a little bit of the ideas of, of being more inclusive and more equitable and kind of having the pantry patrons themselves sort of tell me how they want things to roll. And then through that, in the last two years, we've kind of grown a reputation locally of like the flower, I'm the flower lady that gives the flowers away. And, you know, people love it. We, we provide tulips in, in late spring, early summer. And then we provide sunflowers, you know, high summer or early, early fall, um, because we have that very short growing period here. So anything else that comes to be is sort of on my end an experiment. And I do put like my grit and my heart and my and my learning of all the information I'm soaking up about gardening into that process. And therefore, you know, after if there's excess, I can share that outward. So pantry patrons are always the priority first as the food flower and flower access, right? So, and then anything that's left over as stock at the end can be sold out to community members who have sort of been eyeballing it and wanting that and might have access to be able to go and and the privilege to shop weekly at a farmer's market to obtain a bouquet. But when it comes to pantry posies, they they have to, they have to wait a little bit till we serve our, our patrons first and then they get what's left. So. Which is like such a different kind of concept, I think, for a lot of consumers because they're just like they're used to being treated with that kind of like priority. With community care, it's it's more like it's really rooted in equitable practice. Right. So like if you if you're a folk like, you know, a a household that can weekly throw in a bouquet when they go to the, the grocery store, the pantry posy product isn't marketed towards that demographic. However, if someone in in that demographic is like, ooh, I really do like that. I really do want that. Sure, you can have it. But let me give it give it first to those that can't go shopping and buy it like that or 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 don't have the availability to get to and from the farmer's market um, or to a farm to pick up a CSA or whatever. They get it first and then, you know, hang on one minute. Which is also opposite of of like, well, don't you want my you know, I get a lot of like well, how much is it? I'll, I'll give you a good tip or I'll come get it from you. No harm, no fault. You don't have to even design it or wrap it. Like they, the want for it, it's almost like it's self-marketing because it's not as readily available to those that could access it. And then for those who may not normally have access to it, there's almost this um, interesting, I've observed like hesitation. It's a concept that's kind of new all around in a holistic way of like, like the first time I brought some flowers into the to a pantry to introduce myself after it kind of already been piloted at this one spot where they kind of knew me. And I went into the next, you know, a volunteer was like, well, you, you can't eat those, you know? And it's like, well, the food pantry is for food. You're, you're right about that. But I was like, we're, we can feed, we can feed hearts too. Right. And we can feed, you know, some positivity and some sharing of love and compassion. And, and then, you know, once you, once people start to, start to see what it does, then it's a little bit more accepted. But it is, it's like kind of like backwards business. <laughs> yeah. It's also, it's educational too. I think that's one of yes. the things you and I have talked about before is it helps to educate people. So that's that's the hard piece for me is I, I love education. My background is rooted in that. I started my adult life as a educator and I worked in integrated preschool with kids and life skills and home visits with parents, you know, I just love, I always have loved to see like larger picture type things and kind of get down to the nitty gritty of things to try to, to problem solve. And I also learned how like pretentious that could come off sometimes too, when you're trying to educate things that are like social issues, like equitable practices in food and flower access. Like I never want to knock down someone that's doing good work. 
you know, at the end of the day, like if you're in a food pantry or if you're in a community meal setting and you're helping and you're a helper out there, I never want to like knock down the already broken legs of a helper. Cause that's why we're here for this podcast, right? Is like how sometimes this work is so kick ass and it kicks our ass at the same time. So it's like, how, <laughs> that's, that can be tough is sort of like projecting out education. So I started taking a step back, learning more about like the demographics of where I live, you, still utilizing that clinical mindset that I have that I'm still trying to deconstruct, but u- utilizing it in a way that felt more functional and observing kind of more where people were at, where their needs lie, talk to them, have conversation with them. Like, what are you getting at the food pantries this week? Is this enough to feed? Who's in your household? How many people are you responsible for others? Like there's all these rules and regulations. Then we are, we're also doing good work, right? So that doesn't always mean we're following all the rules because we want to help as much as we can. So sometimes we do spread ourselves and our resources then. So like sort of educating on that regard too, like Sometimes when we give a little in just maybe a different way than we're used to giving, that can also be more sustainable. So for me, growing flowers, giving flowers, that's something I know can bring joy. You survey, I I have surveyed people in line, majority would say, when you think of flowers, what do you think of? Why do you give flowers? Why do you get flowers? And it's usually joy or in celebration or in support. So I started thinking more of like connection and like, People in food, yes, they're they're hungry for nutrients, but like even as donors and even as the volunteers, we're all hungry for like connection. We're all hungry for like being nurtured and, and nourished in ways that we may not even realize. So where flowers cannot be eaten, you know, they still provide some sort of nourishment. It shows how we could be more equitable and inclusive in our practices um, just by simple little tweaks and utilizing things that are assets to us that we can share out in a resourceful way. For me, it's mm. it's not hard to do that. This is a, is a heck of a lot easier than crisis care intervention work. And I still get to meet people that, that can utilize those resources that may not even exist here regionally or exist in a, a truly equitable or inclusive way that they can offer the true help to fill the need, you know? Food pantries, we always say, like, exist as, like, a, a stepping stone along the way, right? We don't want someone to have to only be reliant on the food pantries because we hope that that can help them by them being fed, be the catalyst to help more pieces come together. But if they're not really fully being fed, you know, so it's it's kind of tr- teaching that, too, is asking more of them and what they want and, and re- reminding volunteers and, and all that that these programs wouldn't exist if these folks didn't come, you know, so... I think it's this idea behind like everybody deserves dignity. Everybody deserves beauty. Mm-hmm. And I almost think, I mean, you you were on the crisis intervention side of things for a long time. This is a different kind of intervention. It yes. might not be as acute in that moment. But I think that when folks, you know, and this is certainly not the case universally, but when you're up against like hard times, I think a lot of people when they're struggling already feel dehumanized in a lot of ways. They already feel shitty about themselves Mm -hmm. because our our society that we live in like treats that's like what we're trained to feel like. If we're struggling, it's our own personal feeling when we all know that that is complete and utter bullshit. You know, Mm -hmm. it's we there are these systemic forces at play that, you know, are why people are struggling. And so I think being able to be reminded that we deserve beauty, even amidst the struggle, regardless of the struggle that we deserve beauty because we are human beings that are deserving of that. Human beings are deserving of rest. These things aren't treats for ourselves. These things are part of our like basic human 
dignity, <laughs> I guess. Right, right. And that's that's interesting too that you it's that you said treat like it's not a treat because uh, that's that's the exact phrase some would even say when I walk in the door with the flowers. What a treat! What a treat! You know, and and I I started thinking about that phrase a lot, and I. I, I reframed it a lot. That's one thing my my husband always comments that I'm really good at is is um, reframing to avoid. <laughs> so I also use it in like education. I used to work with little kids. So reframing to say, you know, what a delight, what joy, because those are words that you've put back out there in regards to how seeing these make you feel, you know, and then we can get down to the nitty gritty of the science of it all and, and like what being in the presence of flowers does to the human condition, you know, like it, it tickles your, your sensory, your smells, and that is like your strongest connection to memories. And so I can't even tell you how many stories I've heard in the last just two years of doing this of people's connections to flowers in general, or a gardening story, or my mother this, or my great grandfather this, or... I had these in my wedding or, you know, there's just a story. And so it brings connection. Um, and with the flowers, they're for pantry patrons first. But when I bring them to the pantry, it's like a hands-off policy for me. There's no policing of flowers. You know, it's like, it's no, I, I was in the preschool world. So I, I, I loathe the expression, you get what you get and you don't get upset. <laughs> so the, there's, there's none of that here. And if, if a donor comes and drops off, whatever they want to contribute that week and they see the bouquets and they want to grab one, I, I encourage them to, especially if they have this outward response, like, oh, whoa, there's sunflowers today. And, and if they have a little kiddo in the car and the kid, you know, points and they're in, invested in it. And it's like, oh, does that, does that bring you joy? Aren't they beautiful? And, oh, they're so beautiful. And then I'll, I'll encourage them to take one. And then even the volunteers. And when people donate, like if people want to donate vegetables, I still can't shake the gleaning hat, right? So I have friends and neighbors who grow and they want to leave baskets of vegetables from the garden on their steps. And so I'll take that and then I'll leave a mason jar from something from the garden that week as sort of that kind of also breaking down of giving and receiving that you're putting this out there for them to eat. Here's a little slice of joy for you. Enjoy the beauty of that. Because we all, we all like you had said, we all deserve that. We all deserve to have access. And especially when life is just mucky. Everyone goes through a hard time. So you, you never know. I've had people at the food pantry even tell me like, I took that and gave it to someone else. And I just loved that. I love that because, you know, there's so much stigma around those, you know, struggling. And we add, like you, you said, there, it's already hard enough. And then as a society, we add moral value to being unable to meet our needs. And that just seems so ridiculous to me. Um, and if anything can be learned through the pandemic, it's that, you know, we're, we're not all in that same cruise ship in the storm <laughs> and some of us can afford can afford to to throw a couple of lifeboats over the edge so i think that goes along with the idea of equitable practice too is just showing that um we all can benefit from that whether mm -hmm. we're in a position to be giving or we're out there to be be getting because we need it right now it is hard right now we need to be able to find whatever is going to bring us joy is going to bring us comfort we're going to bring us closer to community in so many different ways you said it before, like we can't do this work, this hard, hard work. It's amazing work in the world without it like kicking our asses a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like this shit is hard. <laughs> yeah. What is it about like where are you finding hope right now? Like what is it about doing this work that is giving you hope or not? That's totally fine. You can say <laughs> it's not giving you hope. That's that's a whole other conversation. But like, yeah, tell me more about that. 
Well, there are those moments, you know, and it's we're 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 kind of in the thick of the hall. I know this will be aired later, um, but in the thick of the holiday season, so you're kind of almost pelted from all angles, all these different messages, right? So you're kind of reminded of like the dialectics that is life, and I I kind of allow myself to have like two all out emotional just messiness responses to just like oh the humanity of it all you know as as a person i allow myself a couple episodes of engaging in the misery of you know why this and i wish we could do more and there's never enough food and like i grew 4000 sunflowers but why can't i grow 40000 and you know there i just go through these moments you know and then i think about other folks that that are going through these kind of moments too and where the where the privilege lies in that and i try to think that that I live my personal life guided by like a grateful heart. And so I, I try in my own practice for my, myself as Jamie to at the end of the day or the, the beginning of the, the next day, if I have fallen asleep on the couch and didn't get the chance to do that, um, process through like what the hardest part of my day was. Because even sometimes the hardest, like I'm like, if that was the hardest part of my day, hashtag blessed, you know, like, or if it's like something really hard, I can re- reach out to other helpers, you know, that, that do work like this and, and check in. And even in doing that, just lending the ear and that kind of community sense, allowing them space to share some of their hardships. So you can connect on how common we are inside this human experience of, you know, we, we often talk about filling buckets and draining wells and all these like poetic metaphors that we put on bumper stickers and stuff to like self-care ourselves. And I think when we work in this type of community care work, we recognize how big this all is. And sometimes it's it's not just self-care, it's community care. And and we need to practice what we preach and and find the community within us as helpers. And and there's a lot of dismantling within this work too, is dismantling like savior syndrome and and white supremic um, systemic things that are are kind of rooted within us and our heritage and and the why we are doing what we do, you know, it's, it's very humbling. I always say like, if people say you must be so proud of yourself, you know, I've been hearing that a lot lately. Like you're, you've, you've got to be so proud. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do drive, I'm a crier and I drive away from a lot of the work like with tears and it's, it's happy tears. It's angry tears. It's sad tears. It's bittersweet tears. It's, it's awareness tears. Sometimes it's a big kick in the butt to me, like girlfriend, like, you know, open, open your eyeballs a little bit. These are your neighbors. These are your friends. Like, and, and in sharing the flowers and having that connection and being the flower lady and, and sharing the recipes to the fresh veggies, you build rapport. And so folks tend to share more. And I, and, you know, I had that clinical history. And so I, I do have training in how to draw those boundaries. And you're still a person, you know, at the end of the day, you still give little pieces of your heart, you know, into the work that you do. So I think it's important to, to take care, but, and also recognize just as we do in those in the community that are are attending the pantry, whether they're going for provisions or they're providing, that we all have needs and recognizing that we're human inside of it too. And if we need to take that beat, it's okay. Like that's where you take off the savior hat and you're like, there's going to be people hungry for food and flour always. Mm. So if you have to take a beat or tag someone in, you know, that's the hard part too with building momentum and growing programs like this is, the more the demand for more more food pantries want to get looped in more 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 and it's like whoa 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 we're still like you said this is new this is this is infancy this is like the seed is not even 
popping out yet. This is like barely germinating. This, but it's rooted. I feel it. It has some strong roots, and it's it's emerging. And this is so metaphorical and poetic. But like, I just um, I think that when you think about it like that too, and you take those moments to to see how how little we are, and how big things are, and how universal things can be, but also how individual we all are, and you think about equity. It helps you stay centered into why you're doing what you're doing. And so when it gets exhausting, you can look, even Google those kinds of concepts and just read other people that have ideas around that just to be like, okay, cool. I'm not the only one. Take a beat. Like, <laughs> calm yourself down there, Jamie. It's, I mean, I think it's real. It's like finding, finding those places where you can, because like sustaining hope, sustaining yourself is not also not easy in this moment. You know, it's like sustainability is one of those things I have to talk talk to people about it all the time, you know, in all sorts of different contexts of sustainability, of like personal sustainability, like financial sustainability, environmental sustainability, all of those different bits and pieces. I'm also like one of the worst with that and like yeah. struggle so hard myself to be like, oh, it's time to take a break, you know, until I kind of like get sidelined for a couple of days. And then I'm like, all right, nope, that was I was not listening to my own cues around all of that. One of the things that you talked about is about this, the white savior, the saviorism kind of aspect of this. I'd love to hear just from your background in either maybe food access or clinical work, or just what is, what is that? How does that show up in this work? White savior syndrome certainly does pop up within myself, within the culture. And it's, and it's, it's hard. And I, I am fortunate to um, have patient and generous friends who have conversations with me that can be hard at times that, that are like, whoa, girl, rein it in. You're not like Candace Cameron in the Hallmark movie going to save the small town folk, you know, and, and the North country folk will tell you, they'll kick you in your britches. You know, they'll be like, step back. You know, they'll, <laughs> they tell me more than, you know, and that's, I believe that too in psych work. And that's also something that stems from white supremacy too, is, is the patient always knows best. The client always knows best. And I believe that. And, and culturally in the, that clinical world, that's not always the case. Um, so even modeling that, you know, I, you know, in the food pantries for the, for the people that volunteer there is giving the patrons a sense of choice. You know, it's not this, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Maybe they're already upset. They're already in a state of such upset, you know, like, let's not add it more if they want two of this and, you know, you don't know what they're, what they've got going on, you know, and then you got learning too and, and educating too about bigger concepts like scarcity mindset and why people hoard or take extra and not stigmatizing that, but not letting that white supremic gross ideology of control take over and trying to like derail someone from doing the good work. So it's this weird, you know, so I, I the, my whole thing is that I just hear like, I hear like my dad's voice in my head. That's like, do, do to yourself what you want to do to others, you know, like work on that. And when you're working at it, shines out, others might see it and play and say, Oh, okay. Maybe if I, Maybe if I step back a little bit and acknowledge this and, and work on this, you know, but it, there is this talk about a lot of self-care after because you're also met with opposing ideologies. You know, one of the things that I heard you say is just, which I'm like, really appreciate you said this, is that you're also working on dismantling some of those things for yourself, too, and kind of like challenging some of your own um, kind of, I mean, and that's it, so much of this is like, it's a reaction, like mm -hmm. we're reacting to things in a way that we've been conditioned culturally. One of the things I say on this podcast is that we have to cultivate the inner conditions to create the outer change. Mm 
mm-hmm. which is a saying from my um, my master's program. I think that what happens when we when we only look outside and don't tend to within is that we we miss the mindset part of things. We miss miss the embodiment part of things. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that actually move systems change, create system change, create social change is tending to mindsets. But it's so much easier to look outside and be like, oh, here, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and that's going to be sufficient and good enough for for you know creating change in the world or creating impact of whatever. Mm-hmm. It's always like frustrates me. And you probably hear this too. Like you've seen this in the gleaning world for sure and in your work where it's like, oh cool, we moved, you know, we moved this amount of food. Okay, but like how much of that was good quality food? Mm-hmm. You know, how much of that was like the food that like does touch people's hearts, you know, in in some and nourishes people's souls, like the mm-hmm. birthday cake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. how much, you know, how much of that is actually what happened? We we get so hung up and that's such a white supremacy culture thing. It's like we get so hung up on metrics. Yep. Because metrics are a love, like an outward facing kind of indication of like how well we're doing um, and the impact we're having versus kind of starting to shift and understand like, well, what's that quality part of things, which is still an impact part of things. Mm-hmm. But it but it is indicative of a mindset shift at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard to document so many anecdotal type engagements of, of how equitable equitable practice actually has success because there are this is the other piece people don't talk about is like there's so many rules and regulations to the systems as they are so it's inside food access there's still rules and regulations you still have to meet certain requirements to be eligible to receive you know and i can't tell you and this is what good people do when they're doing making good trouble is the rules don't always apply and so there's so much data that's not being collected because we're we're siphoning resources out on the DL because there's this huge wave of folks that don't fall within parameters of things. And so is, is that sustainable? If, if we're looking at it, I mean, I mean, we just talked about that being like a white um, uh, savior, white supremacy kind of ideology of, of numbering it all out, you know, but it's, it's, it's tricky to try to see like, you know, when we talk about equity, we want to talk about is what we're, is what we're doing enough? And in the right in the right avenues of lending enough care in the in a fruitful way, like it's one thing to bring a ho ho to share with the entire class of twenty five kids, you know what I mean? But wouldn't it be great if each kid could have their own treat? You know, like that's. But down to the nitty gritty of things of of asking the patrons and the recipients and the clients, um, who at any moment of any day could be any one of us, what their needs are and what we can do to fill it. You know, and it seems so simple. It seems so simple. <laughs> and yet so many things get in the way. So many things. And a lot of it is the, the systemic stuff and the, the moral value that we attach to things. And then, you know, what, what we project out there as a helper and what somebody that that's going to ask or going to receive has to carry. There's a lot there. And there's great teachable moments for sure. You know, and there's, there's connections to be made. And that's what I love the most about all this is, you know, there's, we can never do enough of it. Yeah, that's super, super true. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an ongoing thing. And there's like a bit of peace that has to be made too, recognizing that this is generational work. It's mm-hmm. not, this is not something that we solve overnight. And yeah, I have to make peace with that all the time because I'm just like, 
I can get lost in the hopelessness and the despair of it all and being like, there's so much to fucking fix. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, fuck. What, what the? Oh, no. Like, um, and, and that's like super real. And I can't. And that's one of the things I just I see things like what you're doing, like gives me hope because I'm just like, well, this is like the coolest fucking thing. And you're building something. <laughs> You're building something so real and and born out of a need that, you know, and a demand. And there's like these incredible ripple effects that come as part of this, because as we talked about before, it's like it's it's the simple act of like providing the flowers for sure. That's like one piece of this. But through that, you are creating all of this education. You are setting a precedent that like people deserve this Mm -hmm. um, no matter their circumstances. And I think that that's just so very, very powerful. And I'd love to hear you talk about what it's like to, you know, you were talking about it being such a, like this messy, beautiful thing that you're building. Talk to me about like what it feels like to build a messy, beautiful thing. For for me, it's hard because I, I, I like order and cleanliness and even doing messy things. I've been like praised, praised for how orderly you are, you know, and in doing it. And so those are things I've had to dismantle within my own self, the perfectionism and all that kind of bull, because sometimes you can plan, 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 and nature does what the hell she wants, you know, and flowers for me, um, I love them so much. And I've learned a lot in relocating up to the North country. You know, this was my, these were part of my life since I was 14 years old. And not from a place where I was able to buy and shop and put them on my table, but I sold them as my livelihood to be able to pay for my college. And, you know, I was, I came from a big family. So there was a lot of, you want, you want the basic things, you get a job so you can, you can buy them. And I saw all the different ways from an early age, how different a part flowers played in people's lives. And I, and I lived in a small town, so I knew people that were coming in and ordering flowers for the kids for prom, you know, and how excited that was, that it was. And I saw, you know, people coming in and doing uh, the flowers for the graduations and the dance recitals. And, and, but then you also saw like my very first day, I'll never forget this working in the flower world. Um, I had to deliver funeral flowers to a, to a, to a service, to, to a wake. And I, and I had to put a corsage on the deceased and I was like, this is hazing. Like, this can't be real. But this is part of the job is flowers. And this was what was explained to me the very first day is flowers are a celebration for all things. Hard, soft, <laughs> you know, secretary's day or whatever, office administration day, I think. All the way to wakes, to dances, to I'm sorry's, you know, to sympathy, to get well, you know. And so when I work with flowers, for me, it is it is a messy Thing in general, because I am a cancer and I have a very emotional person, and I and I do cry. My family has called me the crier. I cry in all emotions: anger, sad, happy. When things are beautiful, I've learned in my own life to slow down and notice that. I used to be a very busy bee, working in clinical care, doing crisis intervention. You know, I I am I'm proud of the work that I have done, and also I see so much room for change within my own self of what I've put out there. And I've been able to receive back feedback of harm even that I've caused in the work that I've done and did some true soul searching. And, and, and that's why I stepped away from clinical care work. I like the human connection piece that's a little bit deeper than the clinical, than the just othering, than the lumping. I, I love that 
that's what creates a mess for me is making sure that I'm utilizing those boundaries that I've learned to apply in clinical settings while still reminding myself that we're all part of this human experience at the same time. And when people thank me for flowers, it, it, it brings out a weird feeling. Like I oftentimes, and it's not like the social awkwardness that is me. Um, I will say back, no, thank you. Like, thank you for, for giving me the reminder that these, these needed to be here. Like from seed to, to, to homes, to, to cars, to bedside tables, to wherever. Some of these folks bring them to graves, you know, like just to be able to provide that too. That's also messy, you know, and then, and then hearing all the stories and holding the space for those stories and knowing where to draw the line where that capacity is, is beyond and I'm not in a place to hold right now. That's hard for me. That's messy for me of drawing those boundaries of saying, no, I'm so sorry. I'll catch you next week. You know, and then hope when you drive away that they show up next week or that they have an okay week or that they're fed or, you know, so that is messy. And then, then just the messiness of what it is. Like people think in general flower, like always this, I'd love to work in a flower shop. I love this. And I don't think there's recognition in for, for many occupations um, that present to be beautiful or, or pretty. Mm. Uh, what the end result is, the product, what they don't always understand. We don't always understand what we're doing it even, what the process is that leads up to this product. And and flower work, like Erin, I know what you and I talked recently about how, like, I'm like, no, it has to be ethical because there's so much gnarliness in flower work that people don't even know about that. I don't even, we don't even have an extra hour to get into. Um, <laughs> but just recognizing like, even with my own self that like the messiness is all part of the human experience. And like, I've even gone from, you know, clinical me in a cute little blazer, you know, with heels and, and um, you know, kind of dictating outwardly, which is what we kind of do in a clinical way, which is so weird to me uh, to now showing up to places with dirt on my pants and on my shirt and smelling like manure and dirty nails and, bringing really beautiful vegetables. Like you had said, weeding out the junk and educating on that piece too of, you know, we're, we want to keep dignity at the core of things too. And we're not providing pig slaw to others. Like when we teach children, we're not like, let's clean out what we don't want anymore and give it to someone else. It's like recognizing within ourselves, our capacity when we've had enough and when we can share it out. And like, that's, that seems so easy too, right? All of this seems so easy, <laughs> but there's these bigger pieces that get in the way and make it, make it super messy. So it's pretty loaded. And I like to think big picture and nothing is easy and simple for me. So it fits and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. I'm so, I'm just so glad you're like, you're doing it because this is so important. Yeah. One of the things you were talking about as I was just that kind of resonated for me, is just like that flowers show up in so many different ways times in our lives mm -hmm. and for me one of the biggest like most powerful things I could do for myself at when I was going through my divorce which was like absolute hell was to buy myself flowers mm -hmm. and I just remember like I never really had a lot of flowers during my marriage that was never something that like it was also it was considered frivolous a lot of times to like yeah. Yeah. to buy flowers for oneself and it was so very, very important for me to have, you know, fresh flowers like every maybe usually probably every couple of weeks. So it probably wasn't every week. And in order to really just kind of brighten up my space, brighten up my heart at that moment in time, bring that beauty into my space, because that 
beauty in and of itself gave me hope just to say like there are beautiful things that bloom that come from the darkness oftentimes you know and and like and feeling like invested in that as I move forward and so it just made me it made me think about that because I was I got a little bit emotional (laughs) it's real flowers can do that and they just they do that they bring out memories and they bring out and and hard stuff too and that's where I think I get to wear my little piece of that clinical hat but still be on that human level where I do hold time for parking lot chit chat so if people are waiting in pantry pantry lines and they some folks will seek me out and they've been dying to offload something and it could be the most simple thing and and you and you can offer a resource you know that helps with burnout too is you can link others into resources and remind them of what their own capacities are and that's really cool I, it, it, you know, even to the point where someone might be having a hard time. I've, this was so sweet. There was like one bouquet left. No one ever wants to take the last of anything, right? And there was a, a gal in line that 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 seemed to have been struggling, having a tough time. Couple kids with her, kind of pulling her in all different directions. And you know, it's COVID, so trying to keep the social distance and the masks on the littles, it's just hard. And I saw a, a older gentleman reach down and pick up the the bouquet, and and just go hand it to her. And I was like, you make sure you take this home this week. I think you you could have this. And I was like, that's so sweet because that's really what this is all about, you know, is is recognizing what our own capacities are and where and how we can share it out. And that's and that's being modeled in this flower program, you know, and what we can give of ourselves to truly fill the needs of others and not just sort of like skimping out. You know, I want everyone to have mashed potatoes and gravy if that's what they want. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's, we talk, you said it seemed frivolous to you in, in your marriage to spend that money. And, and a lot of folks, even when I was working in the flower shop, not able to even buy and bring home my own flowers, I idolized people that did, you know, the shop owners that got the weekly deliveries and the women whose husbands, you know, frivolously, you know, may have that money to spend. And, and it's to me, it, it was always like, is this wasteful? Is this jealousy? It, what is this feeling that I have? And I always thought like, I don't like deserve that. That's why that doesn't come my way, you know, or like we, as young women, like we could get into like patriarchy bullshit too, but like, we're, you know, we're kind of almost taught at this early age that a Prince Charming will come and give us the dozen red roses, whether we like red roses or not. Like he's not even going to ask us if we prefer sunflowers or lilies. And we're going to love those red roses because that is so romantic. And like, so we, we almost condition like the giving of flowers. So it's almost like, like deconstructing all of this. And, right. you know, and, he, and, and it is tough. Like even in the world of the people I admire in the flower business are like, oh, Lordy, why are you doing this? <laughs> 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 you know, I don't know what the job stability is in it, but I, I think there is there is sustainability in bringing joy and the reminder that we are very tiny in this huge world and that even when there's darkness and muck, there's there's some hope and there is some need for care. And those seeds are planted. The seeds are planted and the roots are strong, baby. <laughs> I love it. Um, Janie, just thank you so very much for all of this. This is like has just completely warmed my heart and I am so very honored that I get to know you and to get Mm -hmm. to see you on this journey and get to just be in relationship with you it makes me so very happy thank you so much I I just love that you're even doing this because I'm so looking forward to listening to the season and just discovering other people that you think are rad that do cool things because 
at the end of the day, this is what all of it is about is community and connection. And that's what I'm looking forward to it too. Cause I'm like, I might be able to listen to this and hear some other cool people's stories and get my like jive going for next time. And that's really cool. So thank you for, for even giving me the opportunity to, to do this. It's really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Janie Arquit for joining me in conversation today. If you want to learn more about her work, you can check out pantryposies.com or follow Pantry Posies on Facebook or Instagram. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. Make sure to follow Rise and Rouse wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your chance to hear from someone who gives a damn. Follow us on Instagram at Rise and Rouse and sign up for my newsletter by going to allgoodstrategies.com. Rise and Rouse is created and hosted by me, Erin Allgood. It is produced and edited by Steph George of Stefania Audio. Production support from Grace Cleary Morin and Yana Krasanova. Our theme music is written and produced by Chris Marion. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you.